Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert speaks about Mark 10, 32-45. As the disciples vie for positions of importance, Jesus teaches that greatness will be found by taking on the identity of a servant. Let's hear today's message. I am uh, here with uh, Sam and Isaac Lorenz, and they have a brother, Nathan, uh, but he has to clean the house this morning, right? Mm-hmm. So you get to be here, yeah. which is a better place to be, don't you think? All right. All right. Um, Sam, how old are you? Eleven. Eleven. All right. Isaac, how old are you? Eight. Eight. So what grade is that? Second. Second grade? Fifth. Fifth grade. Okay. So tell me, what, what's, what's something that you love to do? Baseball. How about you? I love to um, play Roblox. Roblox? No, Roblox. 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 Okay. All right. Very cool. All right. It says James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, do you remember who James and John are? No. James and John are two of the 12 disciples, right? Mm -hmm. And so think about all of the disciples kind of like brothers. Mm -hmm. So the reason you're here for this story is better than anyone else, you know what it means to have brothers, right? Because there's three of you, right? So you know what it is to have brothers. All right, so let's back up in the story a little bit. So James and John asked for this special place of power from Jesus. You got that, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other 10, kind of like their brothers, they're all disciples, the other 10 got upset. Why do you think they got upset? They wanted to be, they didn't, like, want them to have all the power, and they wanted to be, um, they were jealous. Oh, yeah, good. They were jealous. They didn't want James and John to have all the power. They wanted themselves. (laughs) They wanted themselves. Do you agree with that, Isaac? Yeah, yeah. So think about your relationship together, and then maybe throw Nathan in there, too. What if your brother went to mom or dad? and ask for some special treatment that you would get that they don't get. How would you feel about that? Sad. If you have your Bible open, I want you to notice the verse right before that which we heard Tom read. Mark 10, 31 says this, But many who are first will be last, And the last will be first. It's a theme or a mantra Jesus is uh, sharing with his disciples over and over again. And part of the reason we are watching these videos of children interacting with the text before we do is because who in our world has uh, less power, less authority than children? Jesus is suggesting there is a clue about the kingdom of God if you will listen and watch and consider what it means for a child to take hold of the kingdom. And so I'm thankful for the Lorenz family. We'll interact with what they said a a little bit more uh, later on in the sermon. But, But there is another group of people who have very little power in our world that I want us to think about because I I think uh, to view the world through their eyes will help us better recognize what Jesus teaches in this text. Uh, This group of people are those who work in the 
the service industry, specifically those who wait tables. Who has waited a table in their life as a job? <laughs> a few, right? I'm guessing more, but you just don't want to raise your hand, right? I, I never have. I never had. Now, I, I worked at JCPenney for a little while, and, and I actually pretended to know what tie might match what shirt and sent some people away. Uh, uh, it just wasn't good, but... but <laughs> But I never served uh, tables. But I stumbled upon uh, an article where people were sharing some of their worst moments with customers. Because what I hear, Brittany, is this true? Customers can be real jerks sometimes. Is that? Yeah, okay. She doesn't want, she's too nice. But yeah, they can. And people were sharing some of these stories. I, I want to just share just a, a couple with you as a way to, to enter into the text. This, this first lady uh, worked at a Sky Rise restaurant. You ever been to one of these places? A restaurant at the top of a building could be 50 or even 100 stories tall. Well, she worked up there and she said, one time a guest got incredibly mad at me because it was cloudy outside and she couldn't see the view. Got mad at the waitress. Another man who was working presumably at a fast food drive through reported that when he asked the customer to repeat his order because he couldn't hear him over the loud exhaust from his truck, the man responds through the speaker, are you deaf? And then by the time he got around to the window, had taken out his hearing aids and tried to give them to the server through the window. What a jerk. Another woman reported that uh, she was serving a strawberry lemonade to somebody who had ordered it, and as they always do, they garnish the edge of the glass with a, with a cut lemon. Makes sense, right? But this person threw a fit because they hate lemons. You know, they ordered lemonade, right? Here's the last one. Uh, a woman asked to be, or asked why the air was blowing so much when she sat down at her table. And she asked the waitress if she could make it stop, and the waitress very sheepishly said, um, I'm sorry, I can't unless you're willing to move tables, which the woman didn't want to do. She got really upset about it, even though she had been asked to be seated outside. Anyone remotely familiar with Jesus and the teachings of the church knows that the call to serve, to serve others, is implicit to the call to following Jesus. It's what we're supposed to do. What we often fail to recognize, however, is the difference between serving and taking on the identity of a servant. There's a big difference, I hope that you'll see from the scripture this morning. The people that we just heard from, they had taken on the identity of a servant, at least in that moment, for their job. And as a result, boy, they were treated terribly. Jesus calls us not just to serve, but to to take on the identity of a servant. What does that mean? 
Well, it has everything to do with power, our personal power, the increase of it, the use of it, the defense of it. If we are going to take hold of God's kingdom, which is what we're kind of our theme for Lent, if we're going to be able to take hold of, receive, trust Jesus in his kingdom, then it means we have to learn to let go of the personal power that we have. To not depend on our own personal power to to take hold of life like we want it and instead learn to trust Jesus instead. And so that's what I hope to show you from the the text here this morning. So hopefully you already have it open. Uh, Mark chapter 10, we'll mostly be looking at verses 35 through 45. And so focus in there. uh, And as you're turning, let me just pause once more and pray before we come to God's word. Oh, Lord, we give thanks for your word, for the promised presence of your Holy Spirit in in our midst. We come this morning wanting to be encountered by you. We don't just want to to understand intellectually. We We want to know you. We want to hear from you. We want to know the truth. We want to know your love. We want to know grace. And then we want to leave this place Having met with you, filled up, encouraged, redirected, so that our lives do honor you. And so to that end, Lord, would you work during this time. Speak to each one. Help us to hear and receive and obey. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, if you think about the people that I just shared about, the people who had these terrible customer experiences, and and we recognize, well, there's an image of what it means to take on the identity of a servant. We probably should start by asking the question, why would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody voluntarily take on the identity of a servant? And the temptation is to first look at those we're called to serve, and if we do, we'll recognize most of the time that they don't deserve it. Those customers didn't deserve kind treatment. And if we are hearing Jesus' call and think first and foremost about the people we're called to serve, we'll recognize the same. That the people God puts in our lives don't deserve what we think he might be calling us to do. It will often be true, but that's that's not where we start. We start not with the people we seek to serve, but the one we seek to follow. And if you notice the end of this text, Mark 10, 45, we're given what is, I think, the most important verse. It's, it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, this term, Son of Man, comes from the book of Daniel. It is a, it is a clear reference to the Messiah. The one who has created all things. The one, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who will restore everything. The one who has all power, all authority. This is Jesus. And these words are the motivator for all that comes before. Let's consider what we've just read. Even going as far back as verse 32 
This is the motivator to help us recognize why it is Jesus is marching towards Jerusalem. And for the third time now, in a, in a very short time span, Jesus lifts up to his disciples and those who are following him the reality that when he goes to Jerusalem, he is going to suffer incredibly. He is going to be insulted, he's going to be abused, he's going to be mocked, and he's eventually going to be killed. Recognize this is more than than Jesus serving people. This is Jesus taking on the identity of a servant. John brings this understanding out in his gospel a little more clearly than does Mark here when When in chapter 12, he pictures Jesus deep in prayer, shortly before the passion, shortly before he's about to be arrested and go through all of this. Do we have that we can put before us? John 12, verse 27 and 28. Consider Jesus' words in prayer. He says, now my soul is troubled. Praise to the Father. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So, Father, glorify your own name. See, Jesus recognized in prayer, this, is, this isn't just something he's called to do. This isn't just an act of service, as great as it is. It is the very definition of who he is. His identity. That he has taken on flesh For this very purpose. If we're going to understand the difference between serving and taking on the identity of a servant, then we've got to recognize this and and understand how, how our holding and use of personal power informs the two. I think about James and John in this scene. James and John, along with the other disciples, had, I mean, we're not told this explicitly, but I I think we can pretty confidently say they had spent most of their days serving all sorts of people right alongside Jesus, right? They're distributing food, they're managing the crowd, they're praying for people, they're even healing people, they're driving out demons, they're, they're serving a lot. And James and John, I think, based in these acts of service, recognize all of that and go, huh, I've been doing a lot. I've been serving people left and right. So Jesus, don't you think I ought to be treated as more important? Don't you think I ought to be given this seat of authority or that seat of authority, sit on your right or your left? See, we can serve and in so and in so doing, serve so that our personal power might be elevated. We might grow in that. That you, you could serve somebody, and others are watching, and they go, wow, they're really talented. They're really kind. They're really generous. And so your view in their eyes goes up, and so too does your power. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nod your head, or we're going to be here long. Right? Right, right, right? Yeah, you get that. But notice Jesus is the exact opposite. Having taken on the identity of a servant, Jesus doesn't seek to increase his personal power, but
but instead he releases it, sheds it, lets it go completely. Philippians chapter 2 speaks of this more poignantly and beautifully than any other passage in Scripture, I think. And so I want to put it in front of you and have us meditate on it for a moment that we might understand not just with our minds, but, but really reach out with your soul. Try to understand what we're being told here. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Philippi, and he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. You know, because the church was in a bit of a debate, a bit of a struggle, some conflict. We know nothing about that, do we? <laughs> he says, don't look at each other, and whether you deserve to be treated in any such way. Instead, look at Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Ian, leave that up there for a bit. I just want to meditate on that try to understand it. Consider what this passage is suggesting, that, that Jesus... Who, being in very nature God, that Jesus is God, that he has always been. He was there at creation. Now, this morning I was praying, preparing for the message, rereading the text, just met it, and the sun came up. I don't know if anybody else saw the sunrise this morning. It was beautiful. Came up through the trees, all sorts of different colors, and I just went, wow, God is creator. God, make, God made everything that we know. He made the sun and the sky and the moon, the stars. He made the mountains and the valleys and the oceans. He made you. He made me. He put us together. He, he's responsible for everything. He has all power and all authority. And by that, he has all right to demand every measure of devotion and allegiance and respect. Amen? Amen, right. Does he take advantage of that power? No. The scripture said even though he is God, he didn't use that to his own advantage. Rather, taking on the identity of a servant, he made himself nothing. That the one who made the stars took on flesh and lived as a human being. And he didn't just live as a human being. He lived a life of insult, being mocked and abused and neglected and misunderstood and eventually tortured and killed. Why? So that you and I could be saved. He lived as a servant. He took on the identity of a servant for you. For you, Jerry. For you, Nancy. For you, Bob. Like, he did it for you. The king of the universe did it for you. He made the stars in the sky, and he cares more about you than his own power and his own authority. And then doing that, 
He says, all right, now come follow me. Come follow me. What does that look like? Well, he says, it doesn't look like anything else you've ever seen. In fact, it's the complete opposite of what you see everywhere else in the world. Look at verse 42. James and John, after he, after he, after he kind of goes back and forth with them a bit, he looks at them. And he's not just looking at them. He's looking at all the disciples, right? And he says this. You know those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Let's make sure we understand that. First, what's, what's a Gentile? Anyone who's not a Jew, right? So if we're going to paraphrase this, it's Jesus saying, look, here's the way the world works. <laughs> like Every nation, every king, every this is the way the world works. He or she who has power is served by those who have less power. That's the way the world works. We can see it represented in an organizational chart. Always looks like a, a pyramid or a triangle, something like this right there, right? We, we just implicitly understand this. This is the way the world works. You increase knowledge, you increase wealth, you increase ability, you become the boss, you elevate your power in the world, and others beneath you serve you. That's how it's always worked, how it still works. The presumption here is that the increase in wealth, position, appearance, whatever it is that we try to take hold of to increase our power will then lead to a greater sense of happiness in life. Is that true? No, it's not true. It's not true. Jesus says it's not true. The, the, the world doesn't recognize this most of the time, but sometimes it still does, Right? Ever heard the, the quote, more money, more problems? Right? You ever had that moment in your life where you go, boy, if only, this, it's the if only moments. If only I could achieve this level at work. If only I could accumulate this amount of money. If only I could get my body to look this certain way. Then I will be happy. What happens when you achieve the if only? Yeah. Oh, whoops. It's not all I thought it would amount to. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the way the world works. And James and John believed that, and that's why they go to Jesus and say, so we want to sit on your right and your left. We've served all sorts of people. We think we've earned this. If only we could sit here and the other ten get upset. Why? Because James and John got there first, Right? It's not like they are somehow more morally superior that they understood what was right and John, James and John were wrong. No. Like Sam said in the video, they were jealous. They had gotten to Jesus first. And so Jesus addresses all of them and says, you're trying to go the way of the world to increase, accumulate, hold on, and use your personal power to find life, and you will not find life that way. It's a lie. Always has been, from the beginning. This is a lie of the enemy. We can see it way back in Genesis. We were there in September, 
Remember Genesis chapter 3. Eve standing there with Adam behind her. The enemy, Satan, comes up. Hey, did God say you really can't eat from that tree? Eve says, oh yeah, yeah, he said that. And he said we can't touch it. God didn't really say that, but she, you know, gives a mindset. And he said we can't touch it or we'll die. Satan lies and says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Here's the truth, Satan says. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. What is this? This is about personal power, is it not? It's about knowledge. It's Satan saying, hey, God's trying to keep you from from taking power. Don't believe him. Take hold of it. Increase it. Use it. Because there you'll find life. He does it with Jesus in the desert. Choir's going to play in a moment a song that, or a bell choir, a song that helps us think about this moment where, where Jesus is led into the, into the wilderness to be tempted. You know this scene? Satan tempts him three times. The third time. Look, look, look at what he says this third time. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I'll give you. I mean, this was the third and the final temptation. This is the one. This, he's bringing it all here, right? I'll give it all. Just bow down and worship me. We are tempted daily in our fallen humanity to take hold of, increase, and use our personal power in whatever form it takes to elevate ourselves. But Jesus says, nah, that's not the way. That's not the way in my kingdom. In fact, my kingdom looks the exact opposite of the world. If you were going to put it in an image just like we did before, it looks like this. That the one with the greatest power the most knowledge, the most strength, the most wealth, the most opportunity is there to serve others. And who is the one with the most? Well, it's Jesus. But in following him, we're called to look at ourselves. What am I doing with the power he has given me? What does it look like for me to use that? Because Jesus says, if you want to be great in his kingdom, you must be servant of all. So let's think about that practically. And then I'll wrap up. What does it look like to use the power that we have in service to others? Not to serve, but to take on the identity of a servant. I was thinking about it in my own life. I have a couple examples. One happens all the time. So, if you don't know, we have uh, four kids, so a household of six, and two are away at college. Thank goodness, because do you know how many dishes are, 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 are dirtied by six people? It's like, now that there's only four of us, it's somewhat normal, right? And I will, from time to time, choose to, to do the dishes, 
right? I'll, I see them stacked up, and I go, hey, this would be a nice thing to do. And so I'll, I'll go, and I'll, I'll do the dishes. And sometimes, often, actually, my wife will say, thank you for doing the dishes and all that. And I like to serve that way. But there's a difference between that and what often happens. So we're, we're in this stage of life where mom and dad go to bed before the kids, a couple hours before the kids. And we get up a couple hours before them as well. And something happens in those couple hours when we've gone to bed and they haven't. Like somehow they raid the pantry, they dirty all the dishes, they stack them on the sink and on the counters, and they leave them that way. Not my daughters as much as my sons. They're gross. They're just gross. <laughs> and I think to myself, what are they, what are they thinking? And, and it occurs to me, well, they must be thinking this way, that, that my father is my servant. Because I know he's going to wake up in the morning, and surely he'll come down and do the dishes. There's, I mean, there's no other logic to it, right? They believe that I'm their servant. And when we take on the identity of a servant, we have people that often treat us that way, right? That they act like we must be their servant. Now, so how do I react to that? Well, it's not an easy answer necessarily. Sometimes, because uh, this has happened a lot, by the way, <laughs> sometimes I just do the dishes. And I don't say anything, and I go, I'm going to serve my family. Sometimes I leave the dishes where they are and wait for my sons to wake up. And then we have a conversation. <laughs> and then there are even times where I see this, and I go, all right, my sons could have slept in this morning, but they are not going to. And I go, and I wake them up, and we have a conversation. What I can't do. I'm not saying I haven't done, but I can't or shouldn't do as a follower of Jesus is with anger in my heart go to them and say, don't you know who I am? I am your father. You are the kids. You don't have the right to treat me that way. Yet every fiber of my being wants to do that. Right? You know, you can relate to that. I was trying to count up how many weddings I've done. I think it's close to 100. If you've been married by me or gone through marital counseling, then you know I always take every couple to Ephesians 5.21. And if I'm preaching effectively, if you've gone through this, you're, they're already going off. Ephesians 5.21 says this, husband, wife, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like the call to discipleship in marriage is not to, as a husband or a wife, hold on to as much of your own personal power and, and, and leverage it over your spouse so that you can get your own way. Ian, can we keep that up for a moment? It is not to do that. Instead, it is to submit or serve your spouse. Why? Because they deserve it? Of course not. Right? Anybody who's been married a week knows that they, they, you know, they look at their spouse and go, how did I end up with you sometimes, right? You don't deserve that. I'm exaggerating, of course. But there are moments. We do it as an act of discipleship, as an act of worship, as an act of reverence 
for Jesus. You see what I'm saying? To serve is one thing. To take on the identity of a servant is something completely different. One last illustration before I wrap up. I couldn't help but think about the conversation we've been having about this sanctuary as I've been as I was forming the sermon this week, right? We had a couple conversations about possible proposals about renovating or, or updating the sanctuary. Raise your hand if you were in one of those two so I can get a sense. All right, good, a lot of you. But not everybody. So let me, let me give you a sense of what happened so that you can understand this analogy. So on uh, last Sunday after this service and then again on Wednesday... We uh, gave a presentation about some changes we're thinking we might want to make in this space. I gave a presentation for about a half an hour, and then we had people sit at tables, each with an elder, and have conversation about, about that. What do you like? What do you not like? What ideas do you have? What questions do you have? Those types of things. If you missed it, uh, we did record it, and we'll be putting out that presentation by recording as soon as we reasonably can. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was rethinking that time we shared together. And I don't, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me, because I think they went really pretty well. I think there was um, a good sharing of opinions, and most of the time those opinions were shared with grace and, and politely and with love. But I couldn't help uh, think about this passage and place it as a lens on those conversations and ask the question, did we do it in the way that I think Jesus would want us to? Again, I don't want anyone to view this as a setup. We asked you for your opinions and you gave your opinions. But I wish I would have gone back and read this beforehand and and tried to lead us into a slightly different way because if I understand what it would have meant to enter into that time taking on the identity of a servant, here's what I think those table conversations might have sounded like. Hey, yeah, I have some thoughts about what I just saw and heard. But before I share those, what matters most to me is what you think. Especially if you are different than me. If I'm older and I have a younger person sitting across from me, hey, I know we view the world differently and you know what's most important to me is that whatever we do, we have a space where you feel like you can enter into and be encountered by God and it feels like it belongs to you and, and so you matter more than me, so would you speak first? And then on the other side they go, well, thank you very much, but, but no, actually what matters to me is, is you. You know, I, you're my elder and you have... You've been part of this church for decades, and I really want to understand what's important to you about this church, and so you go first, please. And, and, it, and it could have been this very funny, awkward dance that we have back and forth, and see what I'm saying? If you are one who is very physically able, you don't really understand why the need for all of the handicap accessibility stuff, you know, it doesn't really affect you, you would instead look to them and go, what is it like for you? to be in a wheelchair or to sit there. And, and someone who maybe has a disability would say, yeah, no, it's a struggle, but, you know, I'm just one person. I really want to know what's important to you. 
Now, if you were around those tables, just think to yourself, is that the way the conversation went? Is that the way you contributed? I'm not looking to slap anyone's wrist. I'm just looking to place God's word on our life together and go, oh, I wasn't around any table, so I don't know. But I did hear from people afterwards, and I think, I don't think that's probably largely the way it went. That instead, though politely, it was, here's what's important to me. I feel threatened. I'm going to take hold of what I want and use my power to give voice to what I think should be. And I don't think that's what Jesus wants. Now, again, I didn't lead you to that, so no one should feel guilty. But you know, we're months and months, maybe even years away from any change beyond painting that, <laughs> that plaster work. Uh, and so it's not too late. It's not too late for us to enter into our life together in that way. What would it look like? If in the hallways you grab somebody that's different than you and you say, yeah, you're, tell me, I want to know what you think of this because I care about you more than I care about myself. What would that look like? What would that do to our communion, our, our, our congregation? If we did that, I have no idea. I have no idea what the sanctuary would end up looking like. I don't know what changes we would make. But I do know what the church would look like. The church, we the people of God, would be beautiful. We'd be united in grace and love with this understanding that we're called into the identity of a servant. Not to use our power to leverage uh, things so that they turn out the way we want to, but to, to serve one another. And then together to serve the people outside these walls, the people who aren't even yet here yet, and to serve the world. Like That's what it would look like. And the world would see this. And they'd go, what is that? I don't understand it, but I love it. It's beautiful. I don't know. Our world teaches us to place trust in our own personal power. To accumulate as much as we can. Hold on to it. Use it to get more. Jesus says, if you do that, you will never take hold of the kingdom of God. You've got to, like a child, learn to not trust your own personal power. To let it go. So that you're free to take hold of Him. And in so doing, you will find life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this life that you have given us to share. We recognize, just as the disciples did, talked about it last week, when they, when they heard your call to follow you regarding wealth, they called out, who then can be saved? Who can do this? Well, here we are again. This teaching is so great that if we're honest with ourselves, we go, who can do this? Who can take on the identity of a servant? release all personal power to trust you we confess to you we cannot do it but you have said 
Through Christ, all things are possible. So would you help us, Holy Spirit? Would you help us to take on the identity of a servant as you yourself have? Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Help us to recognize all the power, all the authority, all the rights that you laid down for us so that we then could be free to do the same for others. And as we do that, Lord, would you use our life together to glorify your name. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.